0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time
1: to anchor down.
0: Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. The guest line is presented by Bowl & Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue... How comfortable Bowling Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are Fair Trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS. Trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile, Jody Jones provides a range of sought after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services patients enjoy getting services from dr jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere dr jones has worked with many artists movie stars and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients he never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones, DDS, for making this season of the podcast possible. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland & Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. We are doing this podcast on a Tuesday morning. The Commodores play a basketball game tonight, that at Davidson Tip-off time, 7 Central. Commodores coming off a 59-50 win against Radford and Nashville. Scotty Pippen Jr. led the way in that one with 25 points, which tied a career high. Mitch Light joins us today. Mitch, good to have you back today. I know it's been a rough fall for you with COVID and some things like that, but uh, we are glad you were feeling better and excited to have you on the show today. Hope you and your family are well, sir.
1: Thank you, Chris. Doing well, doing much better. Um, so yeah, it's uh, been been a lot going on um, with that, and then work last week um, signing period was a busy time for for me at work uh, at the athletic. I deal with Ari Wasserman, our recruiting writer, so it was probably the busiest week I've had uh, at work. But it's good. So yeah, all all is good. I want to ask you something.
0: <laughs> the last few years, they've changed the calendar of things with the early signing day. You have coaching changes and things like that that happen about this time of the year that make these things really delicate. You have hirings and firings going on right around the same time. And I guess with COVID, it's different, right, because it pushed the season back. But do you see anything now that we've had a couple of years for this to be the norm do you see anything happening with that early signing period, with it changing, anything like that, given how delicate a needle that is to thread, to get new guys out of jobs and into new jobs and assemble staffs and keep classes together and all those things? It just seems like it's a lot to put on a coach and a school in that situation.
1: Well, it is, and this year more so than ever, and I actually think it, it in the right situation – it, I think, like, we we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this in more detail soon. I think it actually worked out well for Vanderbilt and Clark Lee in this unique situation in which the season was extended and they're hiring a coach who has other job responsibilities. Whereas if the early signing, if there was no early signing period and it was February, Vanderbilt hires Clark Lee and he's got a, you know, he's got his duties at Notre Dame. But he's got a signing class to keep together to put together so he's working you know, both things where the way it worked out this time he could Vanderbilt you know most of the guys had remained committed but they can get all those guys signed sure he's got to put together staff and he's got to recruit and in, in transfers and all that stuff but my point is he, he he does not have to worry about the 18 whatever 17 18 19 kids who've already signed whereas if there's no signing period he's got to keep recruiting those kids and, and all that so I think it actually in some cases it works out well now, kids case like Auburn, where they fired their coach later and didn't have a coach, they lost a lot of commitments. And, you know, I think anybody who knows Vanderbilt and follows SEC recruiting, a lot of kids recruit, will, will, will commit to Vanderbilt and they commit to the school and are more likely to remain committed through a coaching change, where a school like Auburn, it's, it's usually more about the coach. So they lost some, some guys there. So I know that specifically didn't answer your question, but I, I'm not in love with it. Um, I, I would prefer an early signing period before the season, like basketball. Like if you know, you want to commit and you know, that's your school before your senior season in late August or mid August, go ahead and do it. The December one to me seems a little too close to, to, um, to January. What it does, it lets early enrollees get signed, which I guess they could have done. They could sign in December anyway. So maybe that's not, not an accurate point. So, um, it, it it does free up the, the month of January and throughout the holidays for coaches again they could they can get 80% of their class signed and you don't you don't need to be worried about babysitting commitments like you know flying out to go watch a, one of your commitments play high school basketball just to show them how much you love them you can save money and devote, devote your resources elsewhere I don't think it's I, I think the NCA likes it and I think I don't think it's going to change so I I did not like love it at first I understand the timing a little bit more but again if it, if it were up to me I would have an early signing period in August.
0: Yeah, you beat me to what I was going to say because you have it in baseball and in basketball, and there's usually a flurry of commitments June, July. I mean, I think have it the last week of July, mid-July, have a signing day in there, then August gets into camp, and then you avoid some of this crazy stuff at the end. I'm with you. It works for the other two sports just fine. I would let players sign – in the summer and get it over with then. And then you have a later one in February or whatever, you know, like you, you have two for basketball, but I'm in, I'm with you on that. I think that would be a great idea. I think it would save coaches and players a lot of stress and headache.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of like they just haven't adapted to the, the, uh, the, the changing calendar, like for basketball for years, all, a lot of your recruiting was done over the summer to all-star camps that they weren't around when, when I was in high school. So this is nothing new. So you, you know, you, you had a better read on kids from watching them in the summer football. It's only relatively new in the past 10 or 15 years, this story of early commitments. I remember when Bill Troach and I were doing the, the Commodore report in the late nineties, I remember once, like one year Vanderbilt got a commitment in August. And that was like super early. It's like, what's this kid doing before senior year? It was rare that it, so you'd get a commitment that early. Now, I don't know, you know, 75% of classes are locked up over the summer. So the calendar has changed. There's camps in the summer. I know coaches aren't allowed to go see all the camps and stuff, but, you know, spring recruiting is, is more important than ever. So I, I, I think the reason that there isn't an early one is just because it's never the, – the the calendar never really – the when kids were committing never really fit in that window, but that's – change like I just said over the last 10 or 15 years so so maybe it will change maybe we will see an early signing period um you know we did a survey at the athletic a people should go check it out a two-part survey where an, uh, anonymous survey with the recruiting staffers and one coach we asked one rule they would want to see change one coach wanted to see a rolling uh signing period where basically like anytime after their into their junior year they could sign now I don't know if I really love that I think that puts a lot of pressure on kids here on campus and you kind of like a place and the coach is like, Hey, you know, we really want you to sign. If you don't sign, you know, we're going to offer someone else. You know, I, I don't know if I like the rolling sign period, but I think giving them an opportunity in August or like you said, maybe late July works.
0: Mitch, I don't think you and I have done a podcast since Clark Lee was officially named Vanderbilt's
1: coach. What are your thoughts on that? Like it, you know, we spoke, at the beginning of the process, he was at the very top of my list. I think uh, him and Will Healy. I would, depending on the day of the week, I would change my mind. Which who was number one of my choice? Just the more I talk to people who know Clark Lee, and then after hearing Clark at his press conference, and I know it's not all about press conference, but I listened to his interview with Kevin Ingram last night. Just couldn't be more impressed with him. How sharp he is in his. I thought he did a great job articulating his vision for the program, and he, he seems confident convinced he can win at vanderbilt and i don't know if every head coach who takes the job believes that um so no i I think obviously the 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 i would say the only mark against him during the hiring process was that he had not been a head coach and that's you know there's nothing he could do about that but uh, i i commend uh candace lee and the uh, the people involved i mean it seems like it was a pretty good process and and um i always say like i can sit here i follow stuff very closely as a talked to you, you know, throughout the years of the AF. One of the things I did every year was rank the new coaching hires, and I would do deep dives into stats and and how they did at previous jobs and all that stuff. Read as much as I could. But one thing you can't do from just from the outside looking in, and I always say that's why presidents, chancellors, ads get paid the big bucks is you got to sit in a room with someone for four hours or three hours and and really figure out if the, if they're the right guy for the job. And I think that's probably where Clark Lee convinced Vanderbilt that he was the right guy for the job. And, and one more thought, and I said, I've said this all throughout, I thought Vanderbilt was very fortunate that the, the the pool of candidates interested in the pool of candidates kind of in their range uh, was as good as I can remember for, you know, during the search. Much better than, than 2014. Like I went back and looked, and I know this is a very long answer, but I went back and looked at the, the 2014 hiring when when Vanderbilt uh, hired Derek Mason in, over um, Chad Morris. The other new coaches hired that I would say that were kind of in Vanderbilt's wheelhouse that, that would have could have maybe been interested in the job, you know, Dave Claussen would have been a very good hire. He's done a good job at Wake Forest. And then Brian Harson, you know, would he have left Arkansas State to come to Vanderbilt? Probably, but he'd only been there one year. So, I mean, I think if, if we believe the reports that Lance Leopold was second for the job, he's a really good coach. And I, you know, I think he would be a, very good power five coach, but whether it's Jeff Monken, Jamie Chadwell, all those just in that range. I thought there was a very good, uh, a a good candidate pool, but uh, to specifically answer your question, I thought Clark Lee was, was, was a great hire by Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah. A year ago, I thought, Hey, they've got a candidate in Will Healy who'd be interested and would take that job. Had they done it a year ago? And I thought that would have been better than what you would have dreamed of as the best case scenario this year, it's a scenario where you've got maybe a half dozen candidates that I think most of the time you'd be fine with hiring at Vanderbilt. It was a really good market for them, as you said. Yeah, it was, like, was astonishing. That, that the two biggest surprises I have are that and the signing class they pulled in. I mean, it just goes to show you sometimes you think you know how things are going to break, uh, but there's other dynamics at play and, and things don't always end the way you think they will.
1: Yeah, and here's just some how how uh, the world I mean things work and interesting because I do a radio show every Tues every week for 15 years in College Station, Texas with Louis Bolina. and you know we don't really talk Texas A&M that much because he has me on for a national perspective. But he was asking me about the job, and I was like Louis, you know, there's always a Texas A&M tie. He's like, what do you mean? I said, if Texas A&M doesn't throw 75 million dollars at Jimbo Fisher three years ago, Clarkley is not the head coach at Vanderbilt because. Jimbo wanted to make a big splash as a defensive coordinator. He hires Mike Elko away from Notre Dame. Like, if you're going to hire someone away from Notre Dame, you you're paying a lot of money um, for for the same job. So Mike Elko gets hired as defensive coordinator Texas A&M, and Clark Lee gets promoted and does a great job as defensive coordinator. Clark Lee's not the head coach at Vanderbilt right now. If he's just the linebackers coach at at uh, Notre Dame, so it's just it's kind of weird how and Clark Lee mentioned that, and he's like, you just never know when. When your time is going to come, like, did he think he'd be 38 years old? Probably not when he had this opportunity, but it's just it's the, like we've been talking about. Sometimes it's just the opening comes at the right time for the right candidate. And that's, and I always say that about South Carolina, um, they, they were, they made two of the, the biggest splash effective hires the past 30 years in college football, because they were very fortunate that when they were in the market, Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz were both coaching free agents. Now there was enough about that job that attracted big names to, to that school, but in, if in a different universe, those guys aren't available and they don't make those hires, so a lot of times it's just being the, the the right place at the right time for both the school and the the coaching candidate. And then you have Auburn. Yeah, <laughs> Auburn is the definition and always has been of too many cooks in the kitchen <laughs> for for an athletic department and boosters. And um, I would not. I mean, if you told me I could be the athletic director at Auburn where I take the job sure great job good money all that but i i know everyone has a boss so if it's the school president but i don't know if it's the school president either it's 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 just it seems like the same thing happens every time there's an opening there whether or not you can debate whether or not you want to fire gus malzahn that's a very fair question but then you know do, do you fire gus malzahn to flirt with kevin Steele? it appears he's not a candidate now so i really don't know i mean it seems like every day there's new reports and Billy Napier is going to be the coach. Then he's not going to be the coach in the waters that Auburn swims in. Like Auburn's not hiring Clark Lee. They're not hiring Will Healy. Like it's harder to find. And I think this is what Tennessee would find. If they do make a move with Jeremy Pruitt, the schools like that look for a different profile usually. And there there's just not many guys out there right now. There's not many, you know, urban Meyer in coaching this year. There's not, there's as we saw with Jim Harbaugh and Scott Frost, there's, And and I want to preface this to my said about Clark Lee. I think he's a great fit, great hire. I'm excited, all that. But we never know. I mean, Vanderbilt's obviously a difficult job. And like I said, uh, uh, Scott Frost at Nebraska, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, are there two better fits recently in college football? And neither one of those are working out right now. They still might work out right now. So um, hiring coaches is a crapshoot. You just do the best you can and, and hope it works out. Yeah, what I was
0: told from the get-go in the Auburn search was that you had a group of boosters who really wanted Kevin Steele, which I don't understand that. I mean, I know that Baylor was a different job then, but Steele is, what, 62 and had an awful track record as a head coach, what, 18 years ago? I just don't get that. I mean, now apparently – are they officially out on both Bill Clark – and
1: Billy Napier, Napier. at this point—I mean, I because that's thought, what it
0: sounded like last night.
1: I thought I read something this morning where both guys said they're not candidates, or someone said they're not a candidate. There, so yeah, it's that's you know, like I said, too many cooks in the kitchen. You you you've got to these searches have to be tight, and one or two decision makers—the athletic director and the school president—should should be the two decision makers. It should not be anybody else. You can have a committee. You can have opinions. You can have insight all that stuff but and that's one thing that you know i think tim corbin really made in one of the interviews i saw i think with joe Rexroad's story he tried to make you know he was he he likes clark lee he was he was a sounding board to candace but he said it was her decision and you know it's schools have to be again it's got to be the school president slash chancellor and the athletic director i'll give vanderbilt credit um i
0: thought that it did a good job on the search i talked it talked to a lot of good people um it it i don't think that it made a, a super quick hire nor do i think it dragged its feet on this not a lot leaked out it was hard to find out what was going on i just look at what they did and without knowing any more than what i know i have to say i think they did a pretty good job and ended up settling on a good candidate too
1: yeah i mean i think 2 weeks is, is a good time frame i know people like to rip on hiring search firms but you do that for for background reasons you do that to to bring certain candidates Maybe some candidates that you 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 weren't aware of uh, into the picture. So I I think two weeks is good. And again, right right before I don't know if, if it would have taken longer if the signing period wasn't wasn't approaching. But I thought yeah the, the two days getting it done that Monday morning I guess um, yeah I again just kind of what I said before. I thought they did a very good job.
0: Well, Mitch, I'm going to transition to hoops in a minute and then the mailbag, but before we do that, obviously. It's an interesting time in college football with all the coaching changes, with the playoff now about to start, with the bowl games being canceled, with the crazy thing at Tennessee. Give me the storylines that are of most interest to you right now as a national college football guy.
1: The, the thing that kind of it's – it's been developing over two or three, four years, and I don't think it's just because of the playoff. People, I think there's a narrative that it's just because of the playoff. The consoli- I don't know if consolidation is the right word, of power. I mean, you, you know, the, the same teams every year, the Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Alabama, and then you look at the recruiting rankings, and we looked this up, but I, I think 50 of the top 100 guys in the country signed with five schools, those three schools and then Georgia and LSU. I don't think it's good for the sport. I don't know what you can do about it. The best teams are recruiting the best, and they make the playoff. Um, now, I, I would say that those, whether the there's an eight team or sixteen team playoff, those teams would still be at the top of recruiting every year. That the college football playoff is all that matters. So kids want to play for those elite those teams because those are the only teams that make it. If it was eight teams and there were more teams rotating in, then okay, I really love Georgia, but I might sign with um with North Carolina because they've got a chance to make the playoffs. So I'm kind of poking a hole in my own theory here as I'm thinking it through. Um I don't necessarily think it's just because of the playoff. I just think it's sort of a perfect storm where you've got some coaches and in, in great situations that keep feeding off of their own success. And it's, you know, we, we've seen Georgia elbow its way into that recruiting elite in the last five years. Clemson's actually now just getting there and recruiting their, they, their, their big time success preceded their recruiting. It's usually the other way around. I mean, they weren't recruiting poorly, but they, they, they struck gold on some quarterbacks and, and kind of elbowed their way into that elite status. So, I don't love it as a as a fan of the sport. I don't think it devalues every other program. Like you have certain programs and um, that, you know, just getting to a bowl game, winning seven or eight games like Vanderbilt in the early two thousands, winning eight games two years in a row or nine nine games was just unbelievable for this program. Were fans mad because they weren't going to be in the BCS or the playoff? no, the different schools have different not goals, different, different things that they aim for, you know, South Carolina is another program. Sure. Do they want to be a playoff team? Sure. But those years where they won 10 games under Steve Spurrier, 10, 11 games were, were, were great. They didn't really sniff the BCS, but that was a great year of South Carolina football. So I don't necessarily agree that it, it, it makes the sport meaningless for the other 127 teams. But I just don't, again, I don't love the fact that the rich keep getting so much richer. Like well, I'll make one more point. Florida is a great program. Dan Mullen's a great coach. They almost beat Alabama. And it's not all about recruiting. It's clearly not all about recruiting. But if you look at the recruiting rankings, like, they're seventh or eighth. But look at the number of top 100 players that they signed versus Georgia and Alabama. Like, they're recruiting well, and they're getting better. But just based on player talent acquisition, the gap's actually getting wider between Georgia and Florida and Alabama and Florida. So, um, again, like... You can't cap recruiting. You can't say, okay, Alabama has three five-stars. They can't sign anymore. Obviously, it doesn't work that way. It's not a draft. It's, it's recruiting. But that's, that's one thing that's kind of going on that I don't love about the sport. I'm with you. I
0: have a neighbor who's a good friend of mine who's been complaining about this for a couple of years. He said, I don't think the quality of the product is that good when you look at it from this standpoint. And, by the way, you have a lot of blowouts, too, in conference title games. You have them in the playoffs. Okay, I've done the quick math on this. Teams that have been in the college football playoff, which has been around since the 2014-15 season, you have Alabama, Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Washington, Georgia, LSU, Notre Dame. I think you've got, what, LSU, Georgia, Washington, Oregon, Florida State, have been. Michigan State have been one-time participants. Uh, am I right on my quick math here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, because I was thinking, I lost you for a second there, but one, w- one stat that um, all but one of the college football playoff victories has been by one, like five programs, and LSU is in that mix because they've won two, ga- they won two games, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. It's the same teams, I mean, almost every year or or in contention every year. So, uh, I mean, Notre Dame obviously made it this year. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not uh, – and in, in it's documented. I mean, the, the semifinal matchups have not been great for the most part because the top teams are usually considerably better than the teams three and four.
0: Yeah, that's 11 teams that have been, and six of them have been once. I don't know what you do about it, but to me – I don't know that I'm with you I I don't know that that makes this the greatest product around.
1: Yeah, I mean there's really nothing you can do cuz you can't you can't legislate recruiting. I mean there's rules obviously but you it's not like it like it, pro sports are set up the opposite way. The, wor- the the better teams get the worst players every year like in in a draft. It's the opposite in college sports. The best teams usually get the best players. And again, it's not all you know, it, it, I'm trying to think. You know, there's some. You know, Ohio State has unbelievable talent. This this year's not a great example because of all the starts and stops. But you know, uh, Northwestern played well for three quarters against them. You know, Indiana play, took them to, down the wire. So you know, teams lose. Alabama lost to Ole Miss twice. Uh, you know, during the stretch there. But it's um, yeah, just it, it, it with, with recruiting. The, when you really stare at the number, look at the numbers, it just hits you how much programs are bringing every year.
0: Before we get to the mailbag, Vanderbilt is now, what, I guess four games into its season. It will play Davidson tonight, so that game may have happened by the time some hear this.
1: What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far? It's, I mean, it's really hard to give a fair evaluation of this team. Um, I mean, they clearly have not looked good when they've played. Um, I'm going to try and hold out my thoughts based on when they can get two or three weeks straight of practice. If that ever happens and they get guys back, um, you know, DJ Harvey, um, Cleavon Brown did not play the other day. Evidently he was, he was, um, in uniform, but it's just really hard to get some rhythm and continuity, um, and, and kind of develop some rotations and stuff. So, um, I think they've got some issues defensively. Scotty Pippen has been great offensively, hasn't been very good defensively. That's going to be an issue, um, so, you know, looking at looking at the stats right now, I do think there's some talent in this roster, but it's just again, it's hard to tell They're offensively challenged right now. I don't know if that's just who they're going to be all year or because of the lack of continuity. So it's I'm, I'm trying to just, like I said, withhold too much in, in, until, you know, we see them. The problem is once they start getting into that rhythm of playing games, the competition will, will get will will, uh, will increase and um but, uh, you know, c- clearly the the product on the court right now hasn't been great.
0: Okay, best player on the team, Scottie Pippen Jr. Second best player on the team, Dylan DeSue. I don't think there's much debate about
1: that, correct? Correct. Third best player is who? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think they think DJ Harvey. And I, I don't think Jerry Stackhouse is one to – you know, uh, pump up a player for no reason. You know, I, I think they think DJ Harvey's pretty good. He did not look great in his first couple games, and then he's been missing, missed time. So um, I've been a little bit disappointed in Max Evans. I thought he would take a leap as a senior. You know, he's been he's been inconsistent throughout his career, but when he's been good, he's been really good. He's been kind of a non-factor offensive. So I, I think Max Evans has the potential to be the third best player. Uh, you know, the, the offseason, what we talked about was, if Pippen makes a big jump from freshman, if Pippen and DeSue make big jumps from freshman to sophomore year, DJ Harvey's as good as they think he can be. This team can be pretty good. Scotty Pippen's clearly made that jump. I think DeSue's making the jump too. He wasn't great in his first game. He's been more aggressive. Uh, clearly, Jordan, I mean, uh, DJ Harvey's an incomplete grade right now. But then some of the Max Evans, Devon Brown to the seniors have been non-factors. Um, so that that's one thing where in, in two weeks we might be saying something completely different. But um, I, I think right now, um, I don't know who their third best player is. I think it, it needs to be DJ Harvey. There hasn't been an announcement
0: or a statement on Evans, has there? Because I'm surprised. I mean, I thought that guy would be a lineup staple. The thing about Max is Max always busted it on the floor. And that's one thing you want, especially with a younger team, is that lead by example. I don't know what's going on there. And look, Max is not an all-SEC player or anything like that. I'm not trying to overplay a hand here. But with the dynamic of his team, it really surprises me that he's not had a bigger role,
1: yeah I mean he's started every he started four games he's averaged 20 minutes um and stackhouse loves him i mean he's stackhouse started him over Sabin Lee last year because of his defense and you know that's so it's not like he's you know not getting the opportunity. I don't know why he's not playing more minutes, but you know he's third basically he's third on the team in minutes. there's a bunch of guys that are in the in that 19 minute range so uh, um yeah i again, I thought he was a guy that could average 12, 13 points a game. And uh, he's been inconsistent with his three-point shot, but he's, he's a guy that can definitely get hot. I mean, the LSU game last year was one example. He got really hot.
0: Yeah, I think the next couple of games are going to be interesting, this one in particular against Davidson, because the next one, Alcorn State, that should be a layup for them. Right. But it's interesting, if you, if you don't round up, they literally only have two guys that are playing 20 minutes or more a game.
1: Right. And I think Stackhouse mentions after the first game or two, he he wants to tighten up the rotation. Um, But that's been hard to do with guys in and out like, you know, Miles Studi, the freshman. You know, played 17 minutes in his first game, he's been out ever since, and I think he would have been a rotation guy. Um, So, yeah, it's just been it's been a weird season. I would like you know, would have liked to seen this roster under normal circumstances, um, see what they could develop into. Um, but uh, it's clear, Scottie Pippen has been a pleasant surprise offensively, f- continues to get to the line, um, obviously 30 for 32. That's one thing this team has done very well, shoot free throws, which when you're number one guy getting the line shooting 94%, your percentages are going to be pretty good.
0: Let's get into the mailbag that is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979, email him at josh at hqinsurance.com, follow him on Twitter at HQ or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. Five Star Door says, what are reasonable expectations for
1: year one in the Clark Lee era? Uh, good, fair question. Don't know right now because we don't know what the roster is going to look like. There's so much uh, – people is not the right word, but there's so much roster fluidity in college football right now. Guys transferring left and right. Uh, guys sign, you know, picking their transfer destinations. Um, so, you know, I kind of just would like to see a team that, and I kind of always say this about first-year coaches, no matter the sport or the school, that you just want to see a team that's well-coached, well-put-together. You don't want to see a lot of the first-year problems we saw from Derek Mason and, and, quite frankly, from Bryce Drew. I mean, I I remember watching that first game, Bryce Drew against Marquette, and I just did not think it was a very well-coached offensive team. Um, I, you know, I think you just want to see a team that's that's well-put-together and well-coached, and from a win standpoint – Um, I, I don't, the, the talent on the roster is clearly not as bad as what the team showed this year, statistically in performance with the opt-outs and the freshman quarterback and the all SEC schedule. Um, I don't have the schedule in front of me next year, but, um, I don't know what, what a win total looks like, but I think there's uh, enough talent on the roster for this to, to be a much improved team next year. Um, but I think you just, it's sort of like, you just kind of know it. If you see it, you just, you want to see a well-coached team.
0: Yeah, I think two things. The schedule, right? Like, are there layups on there? Do you get a Mercer or somebody back? Which, frankly, right now, this program just needs to beat somebody and anybody is a first step because it's been a while. Uh, Second of all, I would say the roster. And I did a roster chart yesterday, and I couched it in some assumptions. But, I mean, you've got, I think it's 18 or 19 kids who opted out at some point who technically, I think, can come back. They've got eligibility left. Uh, no, some of those guys are not going to come back you've got god knows what will happen in the transfer portal you got the ncaa making it easier i mean i think this is one of these things like ask me again in a month and i think it becomes not a simple question to answer but certainly a lot of the things that we need to know to make a decision on how to answer get cleared up
1: yeah i I think by the end of february signing period maybe that's even too late but I, i think you know or maybe maybe it's as simple as in in mid January once um, classes start. Actually, you know, my daughter, as you know, my daughter's at Vanderbilt. And I just asked her because of all the COVID changing the schedules. They are uh, usually the second semester starts January eighth or something. It doesn't start until late in the month, so that could that would actually help Vanderbilt as far as adding some transfers. I know what there's been two transfers coming in, so it's not just a Vanderbilt problem. I know Vanderbilt was hit harder than most from opt out but um as far as guys transferring it's it's just it's all over the place and the concern for these kids I'd say is you know I think schools can be more selective with who they take because there's so many more kids out there so it's like and then so do you rush to find a home if you're a kid um because you're worried that there's not going to be some out there like Vanderbilt's had some guys grad transfer in recent years that basically just couldn't find a spot like I don't I don't know for a fact but I mean like Deuce Wallace left as a grad transfer and never found a spot it was you know one of the running backs Josh Crawford I think transferred and might have ended up at school for a little while but that didn't work out so just because you tr- grad transfer doesn't really mean you' you're necessarily going to find a landing spot
0: yeah I think Deuce Wallace was done with football um that one maybe he yeah.
1: just officially entered the transfer portal just in case he changed his mind
0: well yeah uh, yeah I mean you, you never know if somebody's gonna bite but unfortunately yeah. not enough of a, a body of work there to to really Attract much, but yeah, I mean, to me, I think it's mid-January. Like, if I don't know if the school will release who's on the roster or not, probably not. But who knows? But I think once you find out who's back and who's gone and who's in school, I mean, to me, the late signing period for school like Vanderbilt, I mean, I'm gonna say it's almost immaterial for next year because usually you're dealing with the leftovers at that point and kids that are sleepers that schools have had more time to evaluate. There are kids out there to be had. But those are the kids that, you know, the ones that can really play. They're the ones trying to decide, is it Ohio State or Alabama? The ones Vandy is in on usually are going to be more of the, you know, is this kid worth the Division one scholarship or not? Does the school think he's worth the flyer on a scholarship? So I think to me it's January when you see who's back in school, and then maybe in the summer when you get that second round of transfers, kids that have had another semester to think about it to say, okay, I – I'm done where I am and I want to give this a second look.
1: Yeah. It's just like we've said, it's just in this year of all, it's always hard to to figure out what a first year coach is going to have, or what his program is going to look like this year. It's at this point, it's almost impossible.
0: The next one comes from brain 13. Do you remember Clark Lee from his time at Vanderbilt? And do you have any stories?
1: I definitely remember him as a player. Um, I remember him as a player, but also one of the guys I worked with uh, at Athlon, Uh, Rob Doster went to NBA and his son was, might've been a high school teammate of Clark Lee. So I just, we, we always joked more about Clark Lee, like, oh, you know, need to get him 25, 30 carries a game, you know, as a walk on, I think he had five in his career. So I definitely remember him. uh, (laughs) And I followed his coaching career. You know, Vanderbilt has not had a ton of guys go into coaching, um, Actually, one of his backfield mates, Norvell McKenzie, is at Louisville right now. So I, I found it interesting that, that Clark got into coaching. And uh, so I followed his career every step of the way. So, um, I, you know, it wasn't like I would look it up one day. Oh, he's at Notre Dame. I, again, I knew he was there. So no specific stories, but I definitely I definitely remember him as a player.
0: Colombiano Doerr says, given Clark Lee's comments on offense, uh, which were an offense that defense has trouble with, motion with playmakers in space a good ground game for game control etc what are some good potential offensive coordinators that might fit that bill
1: that's that's you know that's that's a good question I don't really have many names I mean I thought Todd Fitch did a good job you might know more than me I don't know uh, you know how many coaches were would be in position to be retained there's the, the, the one thing about coordinators is there's a lot of good ones out there at lower levels like um um, I remember a couple of years ago when Vanderbilt was, maybe it was after Andy Ludwig left. I remember just looking up FCS and, um, figuring out like Princeton had an unbelievable run of offense for two or three years and I never heard of Sean Gleason before that. And then like a month later, Oklahoma state hires him. He's actually now at Rutgers. Rutgers hired him away. So, um, I don't have any specific names, um, for you, but there are a lot of really good coaches out there, not necessarily name coaches either that um, at, at lower levels. And, you know, there's a lot of innovative offensive guys out there. So um, wish I had better names, but I, I wish I had some names, but really don't.
0: And Arbador asks, do you think the new transfer rule will lead to more tampering parentheses illegal yeah. recruiting of players or other teams? Yes. All right. I think we got our quick answer on this and, and then, uh, he mentions Joe Rexroad's article on Ken Seals, uh, and schools contacting his father. Uh, so anyway, I think you, you've made your mind up on this one.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always been tampering and there's, it's easier to tamper now. And, um, you know, Alabama needs a, you know, a starting safety. They're going to make it known that, you know, they're, they're in the market for a starting safety and, and I'm just picking on Alabama as an example. So, um. Yeah, it's it's just it, it's it's hard it's hard to stop, put it that way. Kevin Stallings might have some Damari Carroll stories. What no it wasn't Damari Carroll, it was um well it was uh the dude who transferred to Pitt. Oh, well that one too.
0: Yeah. But, uh, well Damari in that case it was a relative, but it was a family member, yeah. That's right, a, yeah. You know, call it call it what you want, but Yeah colombiano door says what does pete sampson the athletics notre dame guy think of the hire for that matter what have you heard on lance taylor and terry joseph who could potentially join the staff
1: yeah i don't on the second part don't really know much i mean i know the names, so i don't really want to know much but part of the reason that i got interested and excited about clark lee too is like not just pete sampson but uh, matt fortuna who i've known for years um, works at The Athletic, who covers, he's more of a national writer, but really covers, knows Clark Lee really well, covered him, covers Notre Dame, does a Notre Dame podcast with Pete Sampson. Both those guys just rave about Clark Lee. And this is, you know, I remember talking to Fortuna, he's like, if Vanderbilt can hire him, why wouldn't they? Like, it's just the thought of him not being first on the list never occurred to him, put it that way. Like, he's just like, this guy is awesome. He is the complete package in every regard. So that's, that's, again, that's, you know, one of the reasons that I got excited about Clark Lee is because just the people I talked to and people I trust thought so highly of him. So both Pete and Matt Fortuna.
0: Mitch, we are done with the mailbag. I'm out of topics today that I wanted to speak to any closing thoughts or things that we didn't get to that you wanted to hit before we end the show today.
1: No. Um, I will say like, and a lot of people bring this up is you know, hi, there's, there's examples of guys doing well at their alma mater, not doing well at their alma mater and every coach wants to win everywhere. But I, I'm glad that Van, I, I think it's cool that Clark Lee went to Vanderbilt and has such a passion for the school and such a strong belief in the school. It means as an alum, it means something to me. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's not, that wouldn't be the only reason you hire a guy, of course, but to me it's pretty cool. Like I, I think it's that, that he really feels so strongly in, in the school and, and its mission and took advantage of, uh, you know, it was only a variable three years, but it's, you know, two degrees and stuff. So uh, I think it's pretty cool.
0: Okay. I guess this is sort of a stupidly speculative question, but audiences love that's these good, things, that's right?
1: That's a good term. Sp- stupidly speculative. Well, you'll that's see where good... I'm
0: going, right? I, I think okay. that the the myth of this guy's here for the long term, I, I just, I think that's a thing that's thrown out there mindlessly. And maybe that was good 20 years ago. It's just not now. You look around. But I do look at this one and go, could he be the outlier? Like, could he be the one guy who succeeds here and maybe stays for 20 years? Because A, he's young. B, he's from here. C, he graduated here. And, you know, D, you hope the environment's getting better. It doesn't come with the nutso expectations other places. I mean, are we looking at – sort of an anomaly here potentially with this one, if it goes right. Again, I, I, I couch that with, it, it's stupidly speculative because that's not how things work out. Uh, but, you know, you, you do wonder, like, if it goes well, as Vanderbilt found, it's Bill Snyder or something like that. I, I think there's a case with Clark Lee that might be hard to make with other guys, given
1: that right. background. And I think Pat Fitzgerald is obviously the, 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 the example. Um, I think it's a very fair point. Um, again, you never know um you never know what his true feeling on Notre Dame is if Brian Kelly leaves in four years and he's had success here but I think it's very very clear that he embraces everything about Vanderbilt and like James Franklin liked being the coach at Vanderbilt he liked winning at Vanderbilt he speaks fondly of his time at Vanderbilt but James Franklin got into head coaching to be the head coach at probably Penn, you know, like I would say, a school with a hundred thousand stadium. That's what really motivated him. And that's fine. I, I always thought you never not hire a guy because he might leave. Like that's, you, you want, you don't want your coach to leave, but you want him to enjoy success. So he does leave. Um, but Clark Lee, like I just said, sort of like embraces it more than someone who's new to new to Vanderbilt. So, um, So, yeah, I I think that's very – again, like you you said it best, you just never know. There's so many different things that can happen. Do you enjoy the success you want to have, all that stuff? Uh, But it's a very fair point to bring up with Clark Lee that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the head coach of Vanderbilt in 15 years. Mitch, tell
0: everybody your Twitter handle so they can follow that, tease any stories that you've got coming up at The Athletic or anything else you'd like to mention before we go today. Um, at Mitch
1: light. And, uh, that's basically it. Not doing much writing anymore, That you know, when I first got to the athletic, I was doing a lot more writing. I hope to start again. Um, uh, once we get back to normal and get out there and do some stuff, but, uh, that's pretty much it. Like, you know, keep following, uh, the athletic of Joe Rexwood. So that's some really good stuff, uh, on, on Vanderbilt and Clark Lee and the coach and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, just, but that, that's about it. Thank you so
0: much, Mitch. All right, Chris, take care. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We should have one more episode dropping later this week. Thank you for listening, and be sure to keep your eyes open for that one to come.